Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's topic, New Direct First Day Meeting and Manager Tools 500th Podcast. Here we go. All right, folks, before we get on with the show, I just want to give you a quick little warning for some of you folks, and that's perfectly okay, won't want to listen to Mark and I as we read off the winners, uh, and I think there's eight of them, of our 500 podcast testimonial contest. So if you're one of those who don't want to listen to it, you just want to get to our regularly kind of scheduled topic today, you know, skip ahead about, it's about 20 minutes, roughly, and you'll get to the uh, normal podcast. If you're a long-time listener and you're interested in hearing what people have to say, then by all means, we hope you'll stick around and listen to the beginning of this. So with that, we'll get on with the rest of the show here. Well, folks, welcome to Manager Tools 500th podcast. I never imagined that we'd get this far, frankly, but here we are. (laughs) (laughs) And folks, we are thrilled to be sharing the show with you six and a half years after we started this effort in June of 2005. And uh, we consider it pretty auspicious that our 500th cast falls on New Year's Day, at least for our listeners in most of the world. We hope that this year and many, many more to come afford us more opportunities to serve you. And um, it is our pleasure to do so, that's for sure. Now, for our 500th cast celebration, we asked you, if you're so inclined, to send us a short essay explaining what manager tools and or career tools meant to you. And we gave you a deadline of Christmas Eve and offered prizes to the top five submissions, including lifetime membership to MT and CT for the top submission. That's right, lifetime membership. I don't know about you, Mark, but I was totally, totally unprepared for the number of responses. I mean, the volume was just amazing. And and I'm sure for you, as, as, as it was for me, the emotions I experienced and what folks shared with us was just, it just, it touched our hearts. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We could not have planned a better way to go into Christmas and the holiday season uh, if we had tried to. Mike and and Maggie and Wendy and Danny and I all shared with each other several times really tearful appreciation of the sentiments everybody shared. It was really very, very touching. Yeah, you're right about getting the, the number of responses we got. We received, I think, pretty close to 125 of them. I frankly thought maybe we'd get 30 or 40, maybe a really lucky 50. I thought they'd all arrive within a day or two uh, of the announcement, and then the holidays would take over and people wouldn't, wouldn't have time for them, which we would totally have understood. But we got submissions on Christmas Eve. We, we got a, a submission today here in the middle of the week leading up to the New Year's Eve. Some of them came in from time zones and from households we know had kids late on Christmas Eve night. Uh, to beat the deadline, I was very, very thrilled and impressed and, and touched, definitely. Yeah. I expected them to keep tapering off, but they never did. Never did. Right. Just kept on getting them. So we should talk a little bit about the process we kind of walked through. Can Wendy basically transcribed all of them into probably one of the longest PowerPoints I've ever seen? Although I came out of a technology organization, so I've seen long PowerPoints, but <laughs> this one was yeah. this one was pretty long. It's definitely the longest of manager tools, that's for sure. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's for sure. So we all, every, every single one of us on the manager tools team read all the entries. 
and we each got seven votes, right? So we tallied them up, and the cool thing, it was pretty clear there were some pretty clear standouts. Um, the top vote getter, he or she, of, of lifetime licenses for both MT and CT, was the only person selected by all five of us. That made that one easy. Yeah. There was one person who got four votes, four that got three, and then two people got two votes from, from us. Now, the rest of the 17 nominees got one vote each. Now, because there was some clear alignment, we decided to expand the awards to two additional entrants, right? It just made it really, really easy. So, and those, right. each of those folks will get one year's license to the cast of their choice. So, we have a few more than we said. We're, we have a total of eight entrants who are winners. The top submission, again, will get a conference attendance and licenses for life. The next five folks will get conference attendance for free. And the final two will get a year's worth of either an MT, managed tools, or career tools license. So pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And as we mentioned, we exchanged a lot of emails while we were reading the stories. We were really touched by the thanks and the appreciation you shared. Many of you told us you didn't even want to be entered. You just wanted to tell us how much you appreciated our work. And, and of course, we, we said right back to you. Thank you for being a part of the community and for trying to be a better professional and as we said before, making the world a better place. So why don't we get to the winners? Yeah, let's, let's, let's read through them. So there were two year-long licenses. So how about if we, uh, we go back and forth, I'll read one, then you read one, and we'll go that way. How's that sound? Okay. All right, so the first one. As a senior in high school, I learned the value of a coach. Our swim coach would stand on the wall day after day, imploring me to work just that much harder, challenging me to remain focused, ensuring me that I would achieve my goals. I would swim faster than I thought possible that year, and within three years, the school won its first swim title. Like managing, swimming is not complicated. It's all about your willingness to keep your head down and stare at that black line longer than your competition. There's no complicated offense, no sophisticated defense, just your determination and threshold for pain. Management is not unlike this, and Manitools had become my coach, each week imploring me to stay focused, reminding me of the importance of the task, and ensuring me the results I achieve will allow me to attain my goals. Manitools is a great coach, and the tools it provides are fantastic. I'm absolutely confident that my performance has improved dramatically over the last four years with your coaching. Like my high school swim team coach, it's easy to see how passionate you are about your work, and it shows in the results of the team. Thanks, Mark and Mike. And that was from Matthew Langridge. Thanks, Matt. That, that's awesome. Congratulations, Matthew. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Um, here's the next uh, licensee, year-long licensee winner. Uh, in 2005, when my husband, a bright high-tech engineer who was founder and vice president of an award-winning startup, was diagnosed with cancer, our family's world collapsed. Within three months of diagnosis, he was dead. Our two high school exchange students from Germany and Japan returned to their homes. One son left for college, and the other was sent to Kuwait. My vibrant life changed overnight, and I found myself shocked and alone. After a long period of grieving, I decided at age 50 to go back to university to finish my BS. Next, I went back to community college to take advanced credit courses in Excel, Publisher, Word, Access, PowerPoint, and Outlook. Then I took an amazing class called Best Practices in Japanese Management. They discussed a method called the Technique of 64 by Harada. The excellence was to choose a profession, break the knowledge required into eight categories, and determine eight steps in each category to master to become an expert in your field. 
One of my categories was management. And while I had read many books on theory, I needed scenarios using real life situation with responses detailed step by step. Many days I wished my husband could have shared his management techniques with me, but an internet search led me to manager tools. And for two years, I've been sharing Mark and Mike's wisdom with anyone who will listen. Manager Tools Basics gave me the confidence to talk with more authority in job interviews. Management is not simply the art of managing down. Understanding how to manage up can allow you to create relationships that produce effective results even when those above you are not competent. Manager Tools' volume of reference material goes beyond general discussion and explains what to do and how to do it and continues to enlighten me as I prepare to enter the workforce. I'm eternally grateful to Mark and Mike for their thought-provoking support and for helping me realize the missing link. Because of your teachings, there are now better managers who champion, mentor, coach, understand their employees' needs and personalities, and lead. Thank you, Mark and Mike. And that's from Linda Morton. Thank you, Linda. Congratulations. Now for the conference attendance winners. So these these folks have one uh, opportunity to attend one of our conferences free of charge. The first one. Right. After college, I chose to seek a career in international development by serving the Peace Corps. While in Kenya, I was responsible for managing a local community group. Our group held the power to create prosperity or stagnation for the community we lived in. I dealt with local political pressure, a lack of basic education and resources, and a culture that questioned my motives for even arriving in the first place. To say the least, it was and always will be the most challenging and frustrating experience of my life. However, I did have one reassurance at the end of the day. That was your podcast. I spent many of my evenings sitting in my candlelit home listening to your conversations. They comforted me, gave me a better understanding of how to accomplish my goals, and taught me to embrace the reality I was in. Your cast kept me sane and reminded me that I wanted to become a good manager. By the end of my service, I'd coached a local woman to start her own restaurant, led my team to triple in size, and for the first time in our group's decade-long existence, we created a continued source of income for their families. The experience was enlightening, terrifying, and everything in between, but eventually led me to the career path I am now on. I owe you for helping me to make the most of the greatest challenge of my life and for giving me the knowledge I needed to become the manager I wanted to be. That was from Nicholas Dominguez. Nicholas included a picture of the villagers, the villagers he helped with our work and quite touching. So thanks, Nicholas, for bringing our work alive. Next, bluff. Manager tools means to me having a career when I had none. I was one of millions of the post-layman recession layoff victims lamenting the loss of a, quote, safe job, unquote, with a, quote, strong, unquote, company. And it was my own fault. I let myself become complacent and stuck in a rut that I was digging deeper every day. Left to my own devices, I know I wouldn't have gotten a new job before my pitifully small safety net ran out. Enter Manager Tools. The podcast spoke in terms I could relate to and use. In two months, I had already listened to three years' worth of manager and career tools. My understanding of workplace completely changed as I integrated Mike and Mark's teaching. This was great and uplifting, but what about a job? I had a career-changing interview scheduled with a solid company, and the competition had the edge as I had never worked in that industry. I needed to be better. I couldn't just settle for being the one-eyed man. I had to be the best and only choice. I utilized the disc tools I'd learned from manager tools. I did my homework, and I nailed the interview. Utilizing DISC, I was able to speak directly to the needs of the hiring team. I didn't just get the job, I got my career back. That's from Joel Bancroft Connors. 
Thanks, Joel. A great story. We're glad it worked out. Next one. On Christmas Day in 2009, my child saw me sitting in my chair distracted with something on my mind. Dad, I love the iPod you got me for Christmas. Oh, great. Glad you liked it. I thought now that my credit card bill was a little higher. Dad, did you know that these can be used for business? Look, manager tools. Listen, you'll love it. Over the holidays, I listened to my over 25 casts. Realizing the business failure I was experiencing that was taking the joy of Christmas away was my own fault. Starting in 2010, I distested on your site all of my directs. Folks thought, I had, <laughs> folks thought I had lost my mind as I moved my entire job requirements to match their strengths. I instilled one-on-ones weekly from four of my direct reports. And part of what we discuss each week is the podcast that is now required listening as premium content subscribers each week on their company iPhones. In 2011, things began to recover. Manager tools and career tools has changed other people's lives we work with and do business with. Just learning the feedback model has kept many a direct out of the ditch. The skills we have learned at manager tools and career tools are career changing, and we have found we retain employees not for money, but for us. In closing, Christmas will be much different this year. I will be playing with the kids again now that the business is running well, and I paid cash for the gifts this year. Our heartfelt thanks. That was from Matt Briggins. Thanks, Matt. Wonderful. Next, imagine for a second, if you please, a cup of strong espresso coffee. Imagine all its condensed energy, its passion, and how it helps you get started for a day at work. Well, now you know how I feel about Manager Tools. Manager Tools helps me get started for my day. During my commute, I listen to it and draw abundant energy from the episodes. Mark and Mike, or Grinot and Birgit, uh, show me simple steps to improve mine and my company's performance. I have found that since I apply the peer feedback model in coaching situations, colleagues accept feedback more readily and perform measurably better. Our team also excels in continuous improvement since we've introduced the hot wash after delivering major projects. But these tools are, to remain in the metaphor, just the caffeine of the coffee. The real difference for my day in the office comes from the good feeling you get listening to an episode. It shows you a world to aspire to, efficient, caring, dynamic, and with a dash of humor. It drives me to become a better person myself, to deliver my very best, and to make the world a little better. I am looking forward to 500 episodes more as 500 opportunities to improve the world a little bit. To everyone on the Manager Tools team, my appreciation to your dedicated work goes out to you. Keep it up, keep it strong, and keep them coming, just like a good espresso. That's from Sven Kosak. Congratulations, Sven. We, we like coffee a lot here. We do. But yes. that's not why we love your submissions. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well done. Good. Okay. Our final conference attendance submission and our first runner-up. When I think manager tools, I think of one word, tears. Tears coming down the eyes of two of my staff after my first one-on-one. My first one-on-one after starting my new job in a new position in Japan. Tears coming down these eyes because they've been working 20 years in this company, 20 years where they have accumulated 400 days of unused leave, 20 years where they all worked an average of 100 hours overtime per month. But worst of all, for 20 years, nobody listened to them. And here I come believing I can change everything for the best, set up the first one-on-one and tell them, okay, now talk to me for 30 minutes, anything. I'm listening and I'm going to do it weekly. After 30 minutes, all I got were tears and a very few words. The following week, I got a few more words, most being arigato. Did I solve all these issues like the best manager in the world I, I should be? Not at all. 
I've accumulated 20 days of unused leave this year, just like them. I'm working an average of 100 hours overtime per month, like them. But today, tears are gone, and we all weekly get our smiling session. Without manager tools, we would all be in tears today. That was from PRN. Thank you, sir. Okay, and now for our first prize winner and a conference attendance and career tools and manager tools licenses for life. I typically write my performance reviews for my team during the holidays. Last week, in preparation for annual reviews, I sent out 360-degree feedback forms. The next day, I got stopped in the hall by our lead software engineers. Got your 360 request last night, they said. I began preparing my response, why I asked to defend myself. And they said, you know, we don't do those around here. Again, I started thinking of what to say and how to defend why I did it. They continue. We haven't had a manager be proactive and do those in three years. Finally, as I'm trying to determine my rebuttal and figuring out how to convince them that this is still a good idea, they say to me, can we report to you? (laughs) And just so you know, I'm in product development on the marketing side, and these were technical experts. For a fleeting second, I felt good receiving the feedback. However, it also made me realize how low the bar is. That is what manager tools mean to me. It's about improving the working lives of others. It also keeps me aware of the impact good management has on everyone in the organization and my responsibility to improve my own effectiveness. Thanks for all you do. That submission is from Tom Baldwin. Tom actually sent us an email with an intro which said, this isn't an official submission. I just wanted you to hear this story. And I actually wrote him back and said, hey, man, you ought to submit that. I I never dreamed it would win. I just thought it sounded good. But it did. Tom, I'm glad you resent it. Well done and congratulations. Dude, when technical professionals want to report to product development managers, you know, you know that's a great sign of someone who earns respect and achieves results. Well done. Exactly. So congratulations, everybody. Uh, Please contact Maggie and she'll arrange your licensing. You can reach her at Maggie at manager-tools.com. And if you're listening, we encourage you to keep doing so. Mark and I are looking forward to a similar celebration around our 1,000th cast. And as Mark yes. has told me a million times, yes, yes, there is a 1,000 cast. <laughs> so. Yes, there is. Absolutely. So from all of us here at Manager Tools and Career Tools, thank you all for the submissions. If you're listening, please continue to do so. And uh, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and Happy New Year. Okay, so now we'll get on to our regular scheduled show, New Direct First Day Meeting. This is an interesting one because I know too many of us don't do a great job of focusing on or hiring the right people, right? And then we compound the error by being too busy to get them off to a good start. The person shows up to work, and I've seen folks literally for two months ignored. They say, I got here, they hired me, and I haven't talked to my boss in two months. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what my responsibilities are. I went through some in-processing, but not with my manager, with somebody else. And it's not good. None of them. They never feel good about it, right? And it's a waste opportunity. This is manager tools. There's got to be a right way. And uh, we want to tell you how today. Yeah, it's not hard, um, but there is a right way. There are some things we need to do. uh, When we spend all the time and all the money and all the resources to hire the right person, 
bringing them in and then not spending any time with them reminds me of the saying that I thought was reserved for high eyes, which is, what good is putting your best foot forward if you're just going to drag the other one behind it? Right. Right? And so th- there's got to be something. There are things we can do to make new hires more effective more quickly. And again, it's not hard. Uh, we have six recommendations, six step-by-step recommendations that we recommend you follow for the first meeting you hold with a brand new hire, whether they're experienced or not, there are some things you've got to do to get them started in the right way, working for you and with you and the rest of the people on your team. First one is this meeting should be the first, we recommend it be the first meeting of the first day on the job. It's that important. Nothing gets in the way. The first thing they do at work is to meet with you. Secondly, this is going to be the first of a recurring set of weekly meetings. May not last longer than three weeks. Some some of you may choose to go a full six weeks. We'll script out the next several over time. And today we'll talk specifically about the first meeting itself. And there are three topics you have to cover. And we recommend you cover them in this order. Be honest, be kind, and achieve results. And again, in that order for good reason. And then lastly, we recommend you tell your brand new direct that in two weeks, we're going to have our first one-on-one. And it's important to explain that and to make sure you understand that this is not a one-on-one you're doing. We tried years ago to to, to make this one-on-ones and it doesn't work because this meeting is all about you educating people, which is not about the direct. Yeah, exactly. So our first point, first meeting of the first day. Now, it's kind of weird, right? When you think about it, we're all in so much pain when we need to hire somebody. Everybody knows how that is, right? And we want them to be super good. When we know the pain of not having enough people, we know it's like to have the wrong person. We know we can't wait as long as we normally do for someone to get up to speed. And we worry that they won't be a fit after all, right? And then knowing all that, we tell them one day or even worse, sometimes in one week or maybe week after that, hey, how are things going? Like, really? Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's amazing when you think about it that it's so important and yet our response is, hey, let me just check in and see if things are going okay. I think everything should be on autopilot by now, right? Yeah, not so much. If we're going to do it this way, if the way you described is the way most managers do it, Mike, we really ought not to be complaining about some of the things that all of us complain about, like lack of alignment, lack of decisiveness. People, look, people, a lot of times, folks, people can't make decisions because they don't know what guidance is. Uh, they, don't, they don't know where they're supposed to be heading. They know what the next task is, but sometimes decisiveness takes more than knowing just the next task. Lack of team play. If you don't tell them team play is important, maybe they think, you know, and you, you interviewed them individually and they don't know what your culture is like, they may think that they can get away with a lot, particularly if you're out of the office in the first week. Lack of communication. You got to talk about communication. We'll talk about that in a future cast. And on and on and on and on. We can't be complaining about that stuff with people that we hired and we thought they were good enough to be good. But then we, again, put our best foot forward in hiring and then dragged our other foot behind. I was thinking this a, a little bit before the cast. And I was thinking, you know, when you, when you combine Horseman's first two laws, it's all about people right? Number one. And number two, more communication is better. 
it's really hard to argue with sitting down immediately with your new direct, not later, not a week later, immediately, and being clear about what's important, right? I mean, those two laws, put them together, you have to. Yeah, and folks, you're never going to get another chance to do this right in the very beginning. You're just not. So as part of the onboarding process, in advance of anyone's first day working for you, we recommend you set up a one-hour meeting as the first item on their calendar, their first day working for you. Okay, so tell me, Mark, I think you said you must, but really, how important is this really? It's important. It's super important. <laughs> That's super, my answer. Super, super duper important. important. Super, Double super, super secret. Yeah, yeah. Very, very. Look, it's important enough to not allow them to start on a day when you're out of the office. Okay? Nobody's going to be terribly effective if they start reporting to you on a day when you're out. And I know people say, oh, I'm so busy. But really, folks, you're not that busy. You might think, well, but I'm gone three weeks out of four. We understand that. Fair enough. Okay? Try leaving on Monday afternoon one week rather than Monday morning or rather than leaving on Sunday for your next trip. Or wait to schedule this person's first day on the job until you're going to be back. Two or three weeks of them starting and getting off on the wrong foot or not having time to ask you a bunch of questions or figure out how to align their technical technical or tactical Uh, expertise with your strategy because they don't know your strategy because you didn't really share it with them when you're interviewing them is not a big deal. Waiting a couple of weeks to get them on board and online and making sure that they understand what's important to you is not a problem. Okay, Don't let HR say everyone has to go through the same formal process. Folks, don't do it. Don't turn your people over to HR or to security in processing. Don't have somebody say, well, you can't have them start on that day because we only pay on these days or something. Don't do it. Do what you want. Start them on a day when you're going to be in the office and the first thing on your calendar ought to be time with them. If HR's classes start on Monday at nine every week and everybody has to go through a week of of in-processing, okay, have your meeting at 7.30 with your new person. Or have it Friday morning at 9 a.m., even if that's the only thing on your new new direct's calendar that day. Why? So that it's the first thing on their calendar the first day. I got to tell you, you do this, no one is going to question what you're doing and why you're doing it. And there's no way they're going to miss the importance of what you're talking about. And look, don't do it at the end of their first day because you're busy in the morning. If your boss says to you, you know what, I need you from 8 until noon that day. Well, then you can schedule it before then. Or if you can't do it and your boss won't let you out of that, then you got to schedule it a different day. you got to have them come in on a different day. Okay? What does it say that you're too busy for somebody and you can't rearrange something for a key meeting like this? If you do it at the end of the day, they're going to be tired. They won't listen as well. Their head is going to be filled with other stuff. And frankly, they're probably going to be thinking about the things they don't like. And look, finally, we probably made it clear, but there's only one first meeting they're going to have. And frankly, if their first meeting is a series of meetings with people they don't work with and onboarding or in-processing or HR, employee relations or training or something like that, that just sends a really, really weak message about how important they are to you. I promise you folks, they're a lot more important to you than they are to the company. 
And you're the one that's going to have the single biggest impact on whether they're successful or not. If you do this as their first action, it's going to send a strong message. It's serious business, and it's just a matter of you scheduling it right. And it's, it'll seem like serious business to them because it is serious business, no question. Now, our second point, that this is a first of recurring set of weekly meetings. So this is not you meet with them once the first day and you're done, right? This is probably going to take a couple more meetings. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you and I have talked before in, in other casts about commander's intent. When one of your organization is faced with the decision, do they know enough, not just about the plan or the project details, that they can choose the most effective course of action, right? It's not enough that everyone just know the next action. A lot of managers get in the habit of they own all the planning. And every time the plan's going to change, they say, let me know every time the plan's going to change. Folks, that is the road to ruin. You've got to allow people to make decisions and knowing that the plan is going to change. But they can't make good decisions if they don't understand what the plan is about, what the intent, what the spirit of the plan is, and those kinds of things. Okay? And look, folks, no offense to David Allen here at all when we talk about next action. Commander's intent works beautifully with David Allen's getting things done. We have no problems with David Allen at all. But if you take it literally and somebody only has to worry about the next action and they don't have the spirit of what you're doing, they can't keep the car in the middle of the road as opposed to in the ditch. People have to know the reason why they're doing various things. So when the situation changes, and it will change, right? Decisions can still be made without your detailed input. And I promise you, if you're making all those decisions, you guys are going to go a lot slower. And you can't afford to go slow in today's modern world. Okay, so I understand that. But how are our team members going to know our intent, the commander's intent, if they're brand new? Is that the challenge? Yeah, that's the point. They're not, right? I think what happens is, I have 10 directs, let's say, and I've got all my 10 directs and we're on track and so on. We've said it before on air. We said, don't ask the fish about the water. When you're in a culture, you can't even hardly see the culture sometimes. So I'm working. I've got my 10 people working for me and everything's clear to us. Everything's clear in the minds, clear on the maps, and we're doing what we need to do. And then a new person comes in. We don't explicitly tell them this stuff. If we don't tell them, they're literally not going to know. And we're going to assume they have it because we're swimming in the water and we don't even think about the water. We just swim in it. You've got to take time, set up a series of weekly meetings. And I'm not talking a lot, folks. I'm talking three or four, maybe five. Maybe some of you will have six. Okay. And I know some of you are thinking, gee, that's a lot. But six hours over the course of somebody that you're going to try to keep for years and years and years In the very beginning, some of the most precious hours you've got in your relationship with this person, it's hugely important. So you you have a series of weekly meetings, just like this one. You're going to impart guidance and clarity about your mission, your organization, and your relationship with the new guy. Simple as that. And I mentioned it before. I'll say it again. You can't do this in your one-on-ones. Okay, We tried that years ago. It didn't work. There's too much to impart that you don't want to rush through in your 10 minutes to help somebody get into alignment. And think about it. If they're brand new, 
and you announce you're going to do one-on-ones in a couple of weeks, now suddenly you're not doing this until you have a one-on-one in a couple of weeks. Okay. What's more, you want one-on-ones to allow you to get down in the weeds and answer all their questions and so on and their tasks and their projects and all, you know, if you're into that kind of detail, taking time for team building, taking time for alignment, taking time for strategy and commander's intent and so on, is going to get pushed aside. And when it does, you're going to discover that maybe they kind of understand what's going on in detail, but again, they won't understand the big picture. And without the big picture, things tend to slow down. I think there's another reason as well. I mean, one-on-ones are about relationships, right? And folks are familiar with one-on-ones. You know, it's 10 minutes for them, 10 minutes for you, and 10 minutes to talk about the future. Well, these these meetings, the manager tends to be speaking a lot more than the director, of course, because you're trying to communicate commander's intent. And if you start one-on-ones with somebody, you call it a one-on-one, and then you start a series of meetings, and you do all the talking? Yeah, they're not going to understand what a one-on-one is. You're going to send a very wrong message about a one-on-one being a place for you, the manager, to, to communicate down. And that is not the purpose of the one-on-one. So there's a number of reasons not to do this. Yeah, you'll ruin them. People will assume that they're a chance for you to speechify every week. And they'll come in waiting for you to tell them their, your big picture stuff. And they won't be one-on-ones. They'll be you talking. And then you'll be disappointed later on that they're not sharing with you. Well, okay, I'm sorry. You yeah, started. Exactly. You, you started. Yeah, you started it. <laughs> now, now tell us. I know a lot of folks are probably thinking, "Hey, wait a minute! You guys said that there are only two standing meetings, one-on-ones and the staff meeting." Oh yeah, I, yeah. I suppose yeah. This is not a standing meeting. This is this is more like um, an onboarding project or something like this. For so it might be three yeah, or four it's or a five project. weeks. Exactly. There's, if there's only going to be. Yeah, if it's only going to be four, five, or six weeks at the most, first month, a little bit longer than that, it's just part of the onboarding project. So this is a project. It's a really important project. But no, it's not It's not a standing meeting. And this is just, again, investing in the important stuff that makes a difference hundreds of times in a month. And if you don't invest, if you don't spend the hour, you're going to pay a lot more than that hour over the course of the next months and years. Now, that said, you don't have to have the remainder of the meetings at the start of each week, right? It's not, that's really the first meeting has to be on their first day. But you know, the other meetings, they can be in the middle of the week or they can be, you know, w- whenever. They don't need to be at the beginning of each week. Exactly. Right. But you have to have them. The <laughs> important thing them. is that first meeting, sending a message. Right. Yeah, you got to have them. And, and that first meeting setting a tone of, when we talk about this stuff, it's really important and I'm going to make it important. And they'll get it very quickly. After you have the first meeting and you say, I want to set up another one, I want to talk about the next step in this. And again, we'll put, we'll put together our recommended scripts that you might choose to use if you don't have your own words uh, in future casts. But yeah, if you put that together, they're going, to fair, they're going to very quickly get the impression, wow, this is important. And it won't matter what, what time of the second or third or fourth week it's scheduled in. Good. Now let's talk about the topics and guidance to be covered during these meetings. And we recommend these strongly. We, we believe that effective managers, if you want to produce results, effective managers, we know, start and talk about these topics. Yep. Always. They may talk about more, but you got you to talk about these. The first one, be honest. Boy, I'll tell you, I think this will surprise some people who expected results, for instance, or relationships, but honesty and integrity have to be first. We don't talk about it much at manager tools and at career tools for that matter because we assume it, okay? Frankly, the idea of having to 
discuss all the possible outcomes and behavioral situations based on ethical and deeply unethical people. If we had to do that with all of our guidance, we couldn't do it. There'd be too many permutations and combinations. And frankly, we've said before, if you're unethical, one-on-ones can absolutely be misused to your own benefit. All of the manager tools and career tools tools could be twisted in a way that would serve you and not the organization and not mankind and, uh, and not the mission or purpose of the organization you're in. But look, if you don't start with honesty in today's world, you're going to allow integrity to become a secondary factor in some situations. When people get stressed, people make mistakes. In order to avoid mistakes, sometimes they take shortcuts. And if they don't think they're going to get caught, they might choose to take shortcuts shortcuts around integrity. If all you do is repeat over and over again, and I'm sure some people have done that through us, if all you say is results are what matters, someone will take that to mean you can fudge here or fake there or jigger a little bit in this area in order to get those results. In other words, results are the most important thing. It can be twisted into results are the only thing. You know, we've told people before, and, and uh, you can get away with more personal if you, if you have great results. Results are a great defense mechanism. But that doesn't mean that you can, throw, you, you can do anything you want if your results are good. And results are only one of a number of things that make a difference. They are the most important. But if you start moving things around and fudging and faking a little bit, you're on a slippery slope. When one of our directs descends on that slope, the fact is, folks, we all know it. We're responsible. It doesn't withstand scrutiny to say you wish you had covered or you'd assume they had known or you assume they had the requisite values. You can't do it. You're responsible. So we have to cover it. And this goes right along with the, the phrase we've used before. Sometimes the things that go without saying need to be said. And you put that together with beginnings or delicate times and you've got a perfect cocktail to talk about the important stuff, period, the big stuff. Okay, so how do you cover it? What, what are some of the things you might say? Yeah, everybody probably has their own ideas here, folks. And you might choose to cover more than this. You might merge something together. We wouldn't fall on our swords and say this is the only way to do it. We will fall on our swords about you've got to talk about integrity. You have to talk about kindness and working well with other people. And you do have to talk about results. But how you do it may be different for all of us. And that's fine. We're not going to say that what you're doing is wrong if you, if you have your own way. But if you don't have your own way, here's how we might say it. And I'll tell you something else. I think a lot of managers try very hard to look good when they're doing their job. And it always seems to me like some of the best managers I've ever worked for, you know, you ask them, how do you know this stuff? They look at you and say, I'm making this up. I'm making good decisions the best I can. There's no magic in what I do. The managers who are worried about getting caught, <laughs> not knowing anything, are the ones who try to hide what they know and what they don't know. And you don't need to do that. So you can have this stuff written down to make sure you cover everything. There's nothing wrong with having bullets on a piece of paper and say, look, this is my standard speech. I want you to know everybody gets it. And I mean this stuff. This is the most important stuff I'm ever going to tell you. No project we work on will ever be more important than this stuff. And I've got it written down, so I make sure I cover all the key points. That's what I would do. All right. Here's how it might sound. Honesty is our first rule. We tell each other the truth. We do so all the time. 
there's never a time where not telling me the truth is okay. I've hired you because I believe you're honest. I'll continue to believe that until you prove me wrong. And I hope that never happens because if it does, I'll fire you. I won't use your honesty against you. If I ask you for something you're not at liberty to share, remember that I'm only entitled to an honest answer to a question to which I'm entitled an answer. One of the biggest problems people have with honesty is avoidance of a lie isn't the same thing as honesty. There's way too much of this. You can probably get away with being clever in some situations, but it's not a good long-term bet. I'm going to begin to see through it. If you intend an answer to be misleading, if you know the truth and you're not saying the truth clearly, that's not as honest as I'm asking you to be. What I'm asking you is to be honest even when it hurts to be honest. The real test of this is like using good manners. Do you use them when no one else is around? With honesty, that means do you tell the truth and engage in truthful behaviors even when you might get in trouble for it? Of course, there'll be times when I won't know, but sooner or later, me and others will get a sense for it. It'll affect our relationship and that'll affect your success here faster than anything else. Honesty and integrity holds for your work and work products, too, not just the things you say. Truthful reporting, truthful in meetings, honest with other departments and customers and vendors. You can't leave something out of a report which you would want to know if you were aware of it. And then, because I didn't ask, say that that's a full and fair report. Sometimes the excuse for something not being in there is that you didn't know. That's fine. It's not great, but it's fine. But knowing something and excluding it, that's dangerous for you and for me and for all of us. I expect you to act with honesty and integrity at all times, and there'll be no tolerance for any other kind of behavior. That's where we start. Yeah. What was another casualty in the world where, you know, results are the only thing that matter? This whole whole thing of results first, it gets corrupted into res, results above all else, right? And kindness, kindness is one of those things that gets disposed of way too quickly. Yeah. You can't get to results without other people. And kindness is part of having relationships with other people. Yeah. Look, results matter. They do. And we're going to talk about results. But you have to cover the things that underpin it. If you sacrifice people by running roughshod over them, if you sacrifice professional behavior on the altar results, pretty soon you're not a professional anymore and there's no sense in doing it. And kindness comes second because if you have a kind person who lies, that's not effective. But if you have somebody who's honest and somebody who works well with others, that's being kind is a shorthand for working well with others, Although I've learned that I can't say working well with others because in some people's vocabulary, working well with others literally means getting what you want in a way that's tolerable for them. That's not the best definition. We want to start with the highest form of definition we can. And that's why we say be kind. So here's how it might sound. I expect you to treat other people with respect. As long as we work together, I expect you to be kind to everyone you come in contact with as a function of our work and our organization. There is not an excuse for yelling or threats or attacks 
or use of power in ways to design ways designed to invoke fear. Yelling is never acceptable. Speaking in anger to somebody else, which is a form of a threat anyway, won't be tolerated for very long. These concepts are especially true about those whom you outrank. Power and kindness can and do go together among the best professionals. They just don't get the press that power and corruption do. I expect you to be especially kind, to work at being polite and respectful and not using your role power with people you outrank. It's as simple as that. It is a sign of someone who is ethical and professional. I expect you to be kind even when it makes things harder. There are times, frankly, I've been there many times, when it either feels good or it saves time to maybe threaten or imply or bully a little bit or even to use some of those techniques by implication. But those things are short-lived. They make later work harder. Look, as managers, as professionals, part of our job is the continuation of this organization. Stealing from the future is not a way to ensure the future of the organization. And when you treat somebody poorly, you're getting something now and saving yourself time in doing it while damaging the relationship that you will have to call upon again in the future. Don't do it. That said... Kindness can include directness. Sometimes when we talk about results and the results aren't up to standard, that can be perceived as being unkind. It's not. It is not unkind to be candid with people provided you do it in a professional tone of voice. To use Mike's phrasing, can you give feedback with love in your heart or can you do it while you're chuckling? Okay? Simply because someone feels attacked when you politely give them feedback or talk to them about how things can be better, doesn't mean you actually attack them. An inference does not an implication make. Talking about results does require kindness. You can ask others to improve themselves in a way that's kind and respectful. And frankly, I expect you to, period. Finally, the point you made, Mike, results won't happen without other people's help. You can't succeed alone around here. You can't ignore other people or run roughshod over them now and expect to make it up later. Your relationships with other people will become how you get things done the further you go in your career. The further you get away from the details, the more you'll have to rely on other people. If you don't have strong relationships, which is caused by being kind now, you won't be able to get big things done. And people won't want to work with you. And if, you don't, if others don't want to work with you, you won't get a chance to work with a lot more people. Don't make the field that you're going to reap from someday fallow now by treating people in a way that makes them think that all you care about is results. Because if they think all you care about is results, they know you don't care about them. Yep. Okay, so let's talk about the one that most people listening probably thought would be listed first, and that is achieve results. Yeah, it's so easy to put that first. It really is. But look, remember, great managers accomplish both results and retention. And the reason retention is in there 
is because if we leave people to only pursue results, most of us will end up with a style that would become authoritarian and based on fear. And if you don't retain people, you can't ensure the continued existence of a great organization. You're losing the human capital of the organization. So it takes not just results, but also retention to be great. What that means is the results as guidance have to come after the values-based responsibility of integrity and kindness, because without, without those things, you're never going to have a shot at retention. Every place I go that puts results above all else has huge retention problems because they've forgotten about kindness and about integrity in terms of the need for people to feel spiritually connected to the organization and to make sure that you can retain people. Those rough and tumble places that you've probably heard about in the world are pretty rough and tumble. And people complain about them a lot. And they get great results, but they don't get great results for a long time. Or they're constantly recruiting new people in and paying them way more money than you might expect to in order to get where they need to be. Results as guidance have to come, have to come after the responsibilities of integrity and kindness. Yeah, look, we admit it, folks. We admit it at Manager Tools. Mike and I admit it. It is a slower way to greatness, what we're suggesting. But folks, there are always shortcuts. And keep in mind, the truly great organizations of the world last. You don't need VC money today to be successful. You could say no to it and just build a company that's profitable from the ground up, the way thousands, hundreds of thousands of companies have been since the beginning of time. In some cases, venture capital is great, but it's not necessary. And great companies are not just companies that have big IPOs. They're the ones that build the right kind of processes and systems, supporting the right kind of products and services for the right marketplace, and they have the right people doing the right things in them. It's very old-fashioned, and it's a competitive advantage to do things with kindness and with integrity that are designed to achieve results in the workplace. And you know what's funny? Those companies that are successful, that grow, a lot of people today believe that the Walmarts or the Procter & Gamble's or the Johnson & Johnson's of the world, they believe their goal is growth. It's not. They announce what their quarterly numbers are going to be. And so therefore, analysts say, well, their, their goal is you know 12% or something, and it's 5% growth or something. That's not the goal of the company. The goal of the company is to serve customers with products and services that the customers want at a price the customers can afford. Okay? And what ends up happening is we need a way to economically measure it because the stock market says, without a measure, we won't know how to value your stock and determine whether we should buy or sell it. And so therefore, we create this language around growth as what they're shooting for. And it's not. The people with ethics inside the company say, you know, growth is the outcome of us doing our job well. And we want to measure ourselves. And if we're serving people well, we'll grow. But that's not why the companies exist. Okay, here's how it might sound to talk about results. Results are what you're here to produce. Within the context of integrity and kindness, which we've already talked about, your job is to produce results. I'll always be looking for evidence of integrity, or I suppose evidence of the opposite, right? I'll always be looking for you to work with us and to work with others in a respectful way with other people. But if you only do those two things, 
If you're kind and you have integrity, but you don't achieve results, you won't last long here. It's wrong for me, it's wrong for you, it's wrong for the firm for me to allow you to stay. If you commit to producing those results and you do by showing up and taking the paycheck, and then you don't produce them. And so I expect you to work hard to achieve those results. If we don't do our best work, we oughtn't to expect great results. We have great competitors. They want our business. I expect your best work all the time, every day. All of your best professionally. I expect you to take care of yourself, and, I, and your family absolutely does come first. And I have no doubt in my mind, all the evidence points to the fact you can produce great results while putting your family first and taking care of yourself. Now, and that's all you need to say about results. You don't need to say much more than that for most professionals because day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, in the office, professional life is so much about results and that's all we end up talking about. Most people understand the connection between results and security in their organizational future. And you don't have to spend any more time but saying, hey, it's one of the big three, integrity, respectfulness or kindness, and results. If you deliver those three, you get to stay. If you don't, you don't get to stay. Okay. Now, this will be interesting. We'll come back to it in a second, but why we say two weeks. But in two weeks, then we're going to have our first one-on-one with our new direct. Yeah. Now, look, you don't have to do this one, folks. If you're not going to do one-on-ones, I don't know why you wouldn't if you're listening to us. (laughs) But for someone new, you could choose to tell them about your intent to have one-on-ones. I think it makes a lot of sense from the perspective of you're telling them this is a meeting that's going to be ongoing, that is going to be one of the primary ways that I'm constantly assessing your integrity, your kindness, and your results. On the other hand, if you're going to do one-on-ones with somebody, you have to give them some notice, right? They need time to listen to the cast and to be briefed by by you in the next week on the purpose, the agenda, the details of one-on-ones. So now would be the time to assign them the cast to listen to. Normally, we would say three weeks. I think that's what you were getting at, Mike. But part of the three weeks that we normally say for an existing team with an existing manager is to address, we give them three weeks to address the fact that some directs calendars are already full in the next couple of weeks and they need some time to overcome their comfort level with your status quo, the status quo of your management style. Your new direct doesn't yet have a calendar. He doesn't yet have a status quo of your management style. He needs a little bit of time to study one-on-ones and to be briefed on it, and then you can start him right away. And pretty soon, he or she will have a calendar, and then the calendar will get full. So you might as well start now and set in place the right principles, the right processes early on. And that's it. So... Quick wrap up, right? Pretty straightforward. Yeah. We, we, we're we're going to have this the first meeting of the first day on the job, no matter what. It, this is what we talked about today in terms of honesty and kindness and results is going to be the first three topics in the first meeting, a series of weekly meetings, probably not more than a month's worth, depending upon how much you want to share with them. Uh, and then again, those three topics, you're going to talk about honesty about integrity, about kindness and and respectfulness with other people, and finally achieving results. And you spend the least amount of time on achieving results because everybody knows that every day they're supposed to do that. And then in two weeks, you're going to announce your one-on-one. Now, I have to tell the story. I've been wanting to tell the story for a long, long time. This, This cast has been on the shelf for quite a while. I once gave this guidance. I sketched out this guidance. 
at the end of a meeting where I had just done some training for some pretty senior folks, some VPs and so on, and got a question about, you know, what should I be doing day one? And I, I asked what the process was. And they said, well, they go to HR and security and da, 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 And then they come find me on the floor and so on. And I just basically used a whiteboard and say, here's what you need to do, da, 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 And people start writing things down. And that happens to me a lot when I'm, when I'm talking and I start writing things and everybody else starts scribbling down, oh, this must be important to them. And I said, during this presentation, when I got done, I said, look, guys, nobody does this. I mean, very few of us do it. We all say we're too busy. I got to tell you, though, the folks I know that are really, really good at managing, they do not screw around with the most important things they want people to know, and they make sure they deliver them in a way that is incontrovertibly clear, oh my gosh, the Bosch thinks this is important. And I said, yeah, so almost nobody does this, but it really works well, and it ought to be mandatory. Well, as it turned out in this meeting I'm having, in a typical, I think we were in a break room above the shop foreman's office, out on a plant floor somewhere, pretty noisy, you know, a bunch of whiteboards around the room. And as it turned out, this manager would ask me this question about starting people off. His five or six or seven levels up boss, some, you know, GM of the billion dollar division we were in, very senior, very well known in the company, sort of an elder statesman, cleared his throat and said, that's not true. You know, (laughs) It'd have been one thing if the young guy had said, that's ah, not true. I'd have been like, yeah, it is. And you don't know what you're talking about. But when the senior guy says that, I said, oh, would, you know, would you care to share? And, you know, we all stopped and, and looked right at him. I thought for certain I was going to be given, you know, a dressing down or something. And he said, it's not true that nobody does this. I've done this all my life. I've done it my entire career. And that was how the meeting adjourned. <laughs> And you're like, cha-ching. Yeah, they're going to listen to me for the rest of the time I'm here, definitely. Awesome. All right, my friend. Thank you. Thanks, partner. We'll see you later. Thanks, everyone. That's it. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long.